Good evening. Tonight's New Testament reading is from the book of Romans, begins with Romans chapter 6, verse 15, and concludes with Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Romans 6, 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once were presented as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of, these, of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become, sla- and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, would you join me as we pray? O Lord, living Lord, speaking Lord, as you're present in this place, would you wake each of us up 
Wake us up spiritually. Wake us up to our joy. Wake us up to our hope. Through your living word, give us supernatural strength and show us Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Well, we tonight are returning to our study in the New Testament book of Romans after having had the Advent season off. And we said when we started this that Romans is one of the deepest explanations we have of the Christian gospel. And by gospel, I mean the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And as Paul seeks to give us that good news, he starts with bad news. I was behind a a car this past week, and the bumper sticker said, this is not normal. And I thought, well, I don't exactly know what there are. Lots of things are not normal, but I thought it really summed up the world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. All of us feel it. It's that shaking of the head when you hear a news story or read something, and you just go, how can this be? How can people allow children to suffer this way? How How can racism be so rampant in our city that even the first lady is assaulted with it? How can we have a a place where there's such disparity with those that have and those that don't have? All these things that make us turn our head, it could be the addiction of our friends, whatever it be, things are not normal. They're not the way it's supposed to be. Whatever ideal you have in your heart of what life is supposed to be like, I think we could agree it shouldn't be like this. And so... Paul goes into detail about why that is, and it's not lack of education. It's not lack of progress. It's not lack of laws. The reason he gives us, it's within us. It's what the Bible calls sin. The problem isn't out there. It's really in here, in each of us. And as we do that, we have to reckon with this idea, can I go there? Can I see that? And look at it for what it is. One of, my, um, one of the bands I like is a band named Crowded House. And uh, they put a, a record out in 2007. And um, it was right on the heels of their losing their drummer who took his own life. And the song, uh, the album begins with a song called Nobody Wants To. And this is uh, how the verse goes. Uh, Down on the ocean floor, that's where I'm headed for. Hold on to a sinking stone until the worst is known. Nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody protects you. None of us naturally want to go to that bottom of the ocean of our soul. We don't want to see that stuff. It's not easy. But it's through that knowledge we begin to see the good news of the gospel. God takes us through that knowledge to show us astonishing news, and that's the unique news that he would come himself in the flesh to bear the pain and the penalty. He would walk in our shoes in every way, enter in the suffering in every way. And it's through that that the good news of God comes. He he comes down to the ocean floor and he lifts us up. He breathes resurrection life into us and we're seeing the sunshine, maybe for the first time. 
Where there used to be guilt, there's righteousness. Where there used to be shame, there's blamelessness. Where there used to be despair, there's hope. Where there used to be weakness, there's strength. Where there used to be rejection, there's acceptance. Where there used to be slavery, there is sonship. Or we might say a new kind of slavery. Now, this is kind of a tough metaphor that Paul uses here, right? We could think, where in the world could slavery ever be a positive thing? Well, he's purposely taking a negative thing and spinning it to get our attention. Just like someone might say, uh, I've been conquered by your love. I've been conquered by your kindness. You know, being conquered is never good. But when it's love, it's a good thing. Being a slave is never a good thing, but being a slave to righteousness And he's probably making a distinction, you know, when we think of slavery, we think of New World slavery, like the slavery of African Americans. But in the Roman world, there was, yes, that sort of brutal slavery, but there was also a class of indentured servants. And they might hold very high offices in a home, and some of them were actually even adopted into the family. And so Paul is probably thinking about this positive idea of what it means for someone to be devoted. He's talking about allegiance. He's talking about what it means to be called. He's talking about what it means to bound to serve, to be bound to serve. And that's what I want us to look at for a few minutes this evening. How do you think about this idea of service in slavery? And there's two categories that we have to look through if we're going to understand it. One has to do with life, the other has to do with law. Life and law. So we start off, he's comparing these things, and he says, You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's summing up, basically saying, You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. All of us here. You know, I I have a little excerpt in your bulletin on the first page of Bob Dylan's well-known song, you got to serve someone, right? You've probably heard preachers mention it a hundred times. It's like the only song they know, right? They mention it anyway. But what interested me, if you look at those lyrics there, he basically saying it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to have to serve someone. When he wrote that song, John Lennon, who was a, you know, John Lennon was shaped by Bob Dylan. Uh, John Lennon idolized Bob Dylan. And when he read that, heard that song, he was irate. He was so angry by it. He actually wrote a song in response to it called Serve Yourself. Because this idea of serving someone else was so repulsive to him. But wouldn't we say that serving yourself ultimately is the greatest slavery? Right? It's the selfishness of sin where I live to serve myself. So Paul is talking about, are you serving sin? Essentially, do you live for yourself? Or are you living for someone else? In America, we enjoy many freedoms, do we not? And um, freedom of speech, uh, freedom to vote, freedom to live. But there's a deeper question each of us has to ask ourselves. How free am I really? How free are you really? For instance, am I free from discontentment and envy and materialism? Contentment, that's a tough one. Can I say this day that I'm content with what God has given to me, whatever it be? Am I free from living for the approval of my boss 
my parents, the fear of the opinion of men. Over Christmas, uh, my daughter and I went to see um, the movie Sing. Has anybody seen Sing here? A couple of you, a handful? You know, it's, it's, it's really a delightful animated film, great film. And it's, you know, it's about sort of a, it kind of has like one of these, I don't want to say American Idol, it's a singing contest, but it's a much deeper story going on. And one of the characters, Mina, and is she an elephant or a rhinoceros? I can't remember. What is she? She's an elephant. Okay. I mean, literally, I'm not, we're not, you know, we're, we're basically talking about animals in this thing, in case you're wondering. And she, um, and she is, has a beautiful voice, but she's petrified to sing. Petrified to open up her voice. You know, and that's one of the things in there. She's so bound. I think about, you know, where has God made you to sing in your life? But you're just petrified. And it's dogged you most of your life. You're a slave to your fear. Or are you free from certain habits in your life? The way you relate to food, drink, sexual intimacy, technology. You see, when you look at it deeply, none of us are really free. Free as we should be. And so, Paul sort of pushes in on this idea of who are you serving? He talks about two masters. He talks about sin and death. He talks about life and righteousness. Which one is calling the shots in your life? What is your relationship like that? And the thing about it is, um, although we were made, none of us were made to live by ourselves. Independence, in a way, is something that we cherish, and there's a healthy independence, but none of us were made not to serve, is what I'm saying. All of us were hardwired to serve. And when we don't serve, something is going wrong in our lives. I think the supreme example of this is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, possessed what was theologians call aseity. He was completely free. God is the freest being in existence. But he's also the most obligated being in existence. He obligates himself. So Jesus Christ, this is what he says about himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And then in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the lowest household servant. We might even say a slave. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, it's that same one, Jesus Christ, that then says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is a hard thing for us to get our minds around. And it's this, it is upside down, it is counter everything I feel, and that is this, the more I serve righteousness, the more I am obligated to loving God and loving my neighbor, the freer and the stronger and the more liberated I become. And this is the rub you and I are living in every day whether it's with your roommates, your spouse, your kids, your boss, there's something in us when we're called to serve, we want to recoil from it and go, no, that'll be the death of me. If I have to serve, that's going to be bad for me. It's going to take what I need. But you also know this. 
when you have, by your own choice, by God's grace, decided to serve someone, voluntarily serving someone, you probably feel more empowered than you ever did. Because there is something very empowering about the choice to serve. This is the sort of slavery that Paul is talking about here. Christ calls us to leave everything, right? This is the the irony he puts in it. He says, if you lose your life, you will find it. Jesus lost his life. He found it in that sort of freedom. And in many ways, we can only learn it by obedience. He talks about obedience in this text. What you obey. You know, sin ultimately can't teach you any lessons. The idea of sinning, the I, there, you may screw up and say, yeah, boy, I really learned a lesson from it, but you really didn't. Because in some ways, that sin planted a memory in you, an appeal to you. The way you really get free from something is you turn, you obey righteousness. That's how you learn lessons, not by making the same mistakes over and over. And so Paul then goes on to say, you know, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which made you now ashamed? He says that so well. I, I think about a particular year in my life, first year of college, where I threw everything off me. All the constraints, the constraints of my faith, the constraints of I just lived as free as I wanted to. And I tell, will tell you now, decades later, it is the year I am most ashamed of in my life. What, what fruit did I reap from that? I, re- I reaped shame. And so Paul would say, why would you and I come to this place? And, and we're tempted there. Israel is in the desert. God has liberated Israel from Egypt, right? They were slaves, bonded slaves for 400 years. Their life is horrible. It's terrible. But God liberates them. He takes them into the desert. Things get really bad in the place of the desert, really hard. And they say this, if we had only died in Egypt, if we could only be back in Egypt, there sat pots of meat and we ate all we wanted. I mean, we have this amazing capacity to make slavery sound like a feast. Right? We have this amazing capacity to look back at things like that, and it's the way sin tricks our mind and go, if I could only get to do that, if I could only have all the money that I need, or if I could only do whatever I wanted in relationships, or if I could, if I had no constraints, it would be a feast. Forgetting the moments in time when we did that, and the slavery that came from it. And so, God would deliver you and I from that. He's interested in a different sort of fruit. Verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There's two kind of lives he's talking about there. One is a transformed life. By the way, winter term starts this week. We're going to be talking about sanctification, transformed life. So he's talking about what it means for God to begin to transform your life now, but ultimately where that leads. And eternal life in the Bible isn't just living long. It's not just living long. Eternal life is the coming together of everything you were meant to be. It means that I'm no longer enslaved to anything. 
I become wholly the person God meant me to be. I'm flourishing in community with God's people. I'm in connection with the earth that he has made. This is the fruit that God, but again, the servant inherits that. This is the one that God has given. And I think it's really important that you hear and I hear that God is not asking you to become a slave of his, a servant of God. Because you and I can't do that. It's a gift of God. Just as God gives someone new life, as he makes them a son or daughter, God has made you a servant. You already are a servant if you believe in Christ. If you're following Christ, this is your status. Are you living like a servant of God? That's the question he's giving us. But that leads us to the last point, approach to the law. Before you and I are united to God through Jesus Christ, this is what we call union with Christ, it's on your front bulletin, we have this attitude toward the law. It's holding me back. Okay? Before someone comes to know God and Jesus Christ, their attitude toward God's law is it's holding me back. And you hear this regularly. You know, usually it's put in a different way. It's echoed in things like, I think God just wants us to be happy. You know, why, I mean, why in the world does it have to have all these rules? God just wants us to love people. Even though Jesus himself has said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And so this idea that law is really a bad thing. And there's good reason for that. But because before Jesus Christ comes into your life, you cannot see the law properly. You cannot understand You only see the shadow in God's law. You only see the dark side of God's law because it's there to condemn you. Paul talks about those that are living under the law. Those that are living in that place. And he talks about slaves, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. This idea of being under the law means that there are obligations of God's law that are on me. And I don't fulfill those obligations. And so that law is there to judge and condemn me. Just like our laws work. And until you have died to that obligation, until you've understand what Jesus Christ has done with the law, you will never see God's law positively. So I'm asking you this tonight. How do you view God's law? When you hear the commandments or you hear things, is it a negative thing? Do you see it as something, or do you see it as something that I need to achieve myself? Because through Christ you begin to see it in a brand new way. He says, those that in Christ have died, and he uses this analogy uh, of marriage from the Old Testament. There, you know, there were some rabbis that would teach that your obligation to the Torah, those are the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, your obligation to the Torah expired when you expired, when you died. And so this is a similar thing. The law, can, the law will continue to hold over you until you die to it. And this is why Christ is said to have died to the law. Jesus Christ, as he was crucified, as God poured out the judgment for our sin upon him, at that moment when Christ was crucified, you died to the law. Everything that the law could require of you to condemn you died with him. This is what he is talking about. For those that are in Christ, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, 
so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. The old way of the written code is the person that approaches God's law in a way to say, this is a tool of my self-justification. That this law is here for me to sort of make myself feel better or transform myself. That's That's the old way of approaching God's law. What you have to do is you have to look through the gospel to God's law. It's when you see that Christ himself took the demands of the law upon himself and he fulfilled the law with his life, that all of a sudden the law becomes like Psalm 119 to you. It becomes beautiful. You no longer misuse it anymore. It becomes light. It becomes honey. It becomes food. You see a reflection of God's love and justice in it. It becomes a beautiful thing. And this is the reason why you and I don't obey the law. Ultimately, we don't think it's beautiful. We don't think it's a lovely thing. And that's because we're not seeing it with the eyes of Christ. There's two ways that Paul says this to sort of round up here. He says, you were committed to the standard of teaching. The standard of teaching he's talking about is the gospel. So the more you and I come to understand what Christ has done, that he himself came and obeyed the covenant, that he stood in my place, the more you and I begin to understand that, we get drawn to God's word. I mean, you know, why don't I want to read this all day long? Why, Why don't I hunger and thirst for this like I do for my next Netflix series, right? The next season. The next season's out. Have any of us binged for a whole weekend? I got one guy back there. Amen, brother. You give me hope. (laughs) Right. Well, I think it's because, you know, we don't see it like Romans 6 is telling us about. When it's no longer hanging over your head as a judge, and it's no longer a book of things, you're like, why? You know, that's a very common question. If you're not a Christian here, your question is, why all the rules? Why all the rules? You've heard me say this before. One of my favorite sections in the book of Deuteronomy is when, you know, this is in the heart of rules coming at God's people like crazy. You know, rules and lots of commands and commands. And God says, one day your little boy or girl is going to say to you, mommy or dad, why all the commandments? And he doesn't say what I typically would have said as a parent, because I told you so, right? He says, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to let them climb up into your lap. I'm paraphrasing a bit. Climb up into your lap, and I want you to tell them a story. I want you to tell them the story about a God that loved them so much that he delivered and redeemed them from bondage. I mean, you know, the story you and I are living to makes sense of the... I mean, you know, we use marriage or best friendship as an example. You know, the love story sets the context for the vows and the obligations. And so, you know, I'm a willing slave. When love is working right in my marriage, 
I'm not grousing over servant. I'm a willing servant. I mean, we see this picture, right? All the time displayed before. Do we experience it spiritually? God's grace leading us to that place. The Westminster Confession of Faith, a theological confession that is formative in this tradition, says the liberty, the liberty which Christ has purchased, purchases by his blood, under the gospel consists in their freedom, here comes freedom, freedom from the guilt of sin, from the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the law, bondage to Satan, the sting of death. There's that. But then he says, and free access to God. What would you pay to get access to God if you knew he wasn't going to zap you? And you really thought, if I, he's going to be favorable to me, what would you pay? I think you'd be giving up everything. Free, free access to God and yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. So that's the place you and I have to, do I have a childlike love for God? That'll bring the willing mind. But the last part is this. We do have a part to play. Paul says, present yourself, your members, and by members he's talking about sort of everything we are. Present yourself, not to sin, but to righteousness. You know, this analogy of presenting yourself. You have a choice who you're going to stand before. You have a choice who you're going to give. You know, you, you are made in the image of God. You have more dignity than you... You have no idea how much dignity you have. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote. If we saw one another as we really are, we would fall down and worship. The dignity you have, and if you're a Christian, you've been crowned with God's glory, crowned with his love. You know, someone of that status just didn't go stand before anybody. So you and I this week have to ask ourselves, who am I going to present myself to? I mean, whether it's the things I watch, whether it's the things I do, whether it's the gossip I don't or enter into or I don't. And as we do that, as we do that, I guarantee you, you won't feel more bondage. You'll feel free. This is the crazy thing about this. The more we serve, the stronger and the freer we get. So let's pray for God's grace to do that. Lord, this supernatural work we're asking to do in this community for every person here tonight. We all need it in different ways, but we all need the same thing. Would you please glorify yourself by doing that? In Christ's name, amen. Amen.